John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1395.IS3321, certificate number 21995. The Viking. Now we typically, or I should say, you are pretty on record as being against colonialism. Would you say that's true? Well, yeah. More or less. I'm wearing my t-shirt right now that says pro-vaccine, anti-colonialism. Right. And, you know, I'm, I, I like to teach both sides of the controversy. Um, I'm against... What would you say are, like, what is the case for uh, colonial... Is there a modern case to be made for... Well... Well, at least the, the yellow fever malaria inoculations got to Ecuador faster. I feel like the, the Spanish introduced horses to the American West, which eventually... Mm-hmm. Uh, brought us the Ford Mustang and the outlaw Josie Wales. And, uh, and you know, that's the other case you could make. Well, I mean, all American culture is a product of colonialism. <laughs> it doesn't. All, it, all, but, all Western hemisphere culture. But, but specifically the Ford Mustang, I think you couldn't have it, right? If, if the horse hadn't inter- been introduced to the West. That's but correct. there were times uh, in. What, what do you think the Mustang would be called in, a, in another? The Buffalo. Another world. The Ford Buffalo. The new Ford Buffalo. <laughs> Why is there not a car called the Buffalo? And all cars would be uh, measured in, engines would be measured in Buffalo power. Yeah, the Ford Bison. You would buy that. No, su- you wouldn't, but I would. I'm kind of surprised there isn't some. I mean, I think it's because those big, the big pickups now today have to look all militarized. But that looks kind of like a Bison. But Bison seems, Bison, they're big and lumpy and it's kind of tree huggery. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, why wasn't there a Toyota bike? They've all got to be called the Avenger or something. Yeah, but but you know the the like next gen stuff. You know that could be that could be like an electric powered. No, a Bison's not electric powered. Maybe we missed our chance. We missed our chance for there to be a Ford Bison. There could have been a band called the Electric Bison. And there could have. We missed our chance to do that too. I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to like sing the praises of colonialism because of course it's got a good bad, move. It's got honestly. bad. It's got bad vibes all around it. But at a, there was a time in American history, not that long ago, when people really uh, when they dug it. Well, yeah, they did. They celebrated it. They celebrated its entire catalog. It was kind of the center of culture in a lot of ways. Yeah, we spent a lot of time here in the United States uh, I mean, saluting the flag of having whole, conquered the West. The whole myth of the West, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but maybe the uh, maybe the apogee of that was the 
Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1890. I'm going to guess 92. You're right. (laughs) There's a little poem to help you remember. That's right. So in 1492, what happened, Ken? Uh, Columbus sailed the ocean. I can't remember what color it was. No, I think you do, because I know you love perfect rhymes. The ocean blue. He did. Columbus sailed the ocean blue and brew. In uh, what were the three ships that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in? The, he his expedition. Answer in a form of the question. What are the Nina, the Pinta, and the flagship Santa Maria? That's right. Do you know the real names? Ooh, is this a thing like with the Monitor and the Merrimack, where we use the wrong names? Yes, I'm, I'm very into this. When what? First of all, why do they have wrong names? Well, because they have nicknames. Wait. So the Nina and the Pin, those are like affectionate. That's like calling a baseball player the Commerce Comet. That's exactly right. If, the, so you you went to a harbor master and you looked up the shipping records, and they were actually registered as what? The Nina. It'd be funny if it was just like CQR seventeen twenty. <laughs> La Nina. Her actual name was the Santa Clara. Huh. Mm-hmm. And the Santa Maria's original nickname was La Gallega or Gallega. Like the woman from Galicia. Uh, and nobody remembers what uh, the Pinta was called. Oh, the, is that true? The Pinta weirdly figures in... The uh, Ford Pinta. The, the Pinta gets... Kind of gets a short shrift in a lot of the uh, a lot of the story. It would be kind of funny if, like, you know, on a field trip when there's two buses going to a place and all the cool kids wind up on one of the buses, yeah, and big then Bertha. and then there's clearly a lame bus, yeah. you know, because all the also rans that didn't find a, a friend soon enough end up on the lame bus. I bet Columbus's ship was like that, and all the lame soul, uh, sailors wound up on the Pinta. Well, it's interesting because on the voyage, right, the Santa Maria actually foundered. And they broke the ship apart and built a built like a lodge out of it to survive the winter. Right. And uh, the the Nina was Columbus's like f- super favorite ship. Like he really was in love with it. Like in a he, kind of weird way. I assumed he was on the Santa Maria. He was, but oh. and the Santa Maria was a bigger ship and actually probably better in the ocean. Mm-hmm. But he just loved he, he just loved La Nina. It was like his cute little gal. And on subsequent trips, he made La Nina his his mm. um his flagship. Was he always saying kind of weird, creepy things about was, how, oh, how La Nina my baby, my baby. Chibella, La Nina. I mean I don't know if he's Spanish or Italian in this story. Yeah, we'll just just split the difference right right up the middle. And the the Pinta, like the historic record is sort of like, we don't know what happened to it. And there was a third ship. Yeah, and sort of, it was fine also. It's funny how many of those iconic ships just disappear. Like, it's not clear what happened to the Mayflower, for example. Right. Just, uh... Eventually got used for lamer and lamer things, smug- <laughs> smuggling nitroglycerin or whatever. Yeah, somebody's and pig farm. And then at some point, it's just gone. I think, and there's, there's, I, the the three ships are um, are like naval archaeology, golden, like um, what, what the ultimate quest. Right, so the holy pe- grail. People are. That's what I was looking for. The holy grail. How could I forget it? What a, it was a great movie. Um. So naval archaeologists are always trying to find the Pinta, and I think at one point they thought they found what the Santa Maria, but it turned out it was the wrong wrong ship, some some other some cool other ship. old loser ship, yeah, some loser ship that didn't sail the ocean in fourteen ninety two. I think the Santa Maria was actually was it the Santa Maria or was it the 
Was it the Pinta that was already a really old, it was already 50 years old oh. before they even went on this trip? I think it was the Santa Maria. So it like, you know, there's somebody who's like, whatever, this is my famous ship from my famous voyage. Yeah. And then that person's forgotten. Forgotten. Columbus, totally forgotten. Columbus stole it. Think about all the the cool nights out on the ocean that were that were happening in the Santa Maria before 1492 erased from history. But now that it's like, well, Columbus enslaved and killed all those mm. native Caribbean peoples, maybe maybe there is like a cool thing that the Santa Maria did that we could like oh, that we could revive. Retcon it. You huh? know, rehabilitate the Santa Maria and be like you know, actually, it did. It brought some uh, some religious refugees safely to Portugal at one point. Yeah, w- yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Doubtful, probably doubtful. Um, in the eighteen, the mid eighteen hundreds, there was a kind. Of, we've talked about many of these kind of expositions and fairs, and you know, big events. Every omnibus has a world's fair at some point. It was a ni- it was a nineteenth century fascination. By the way, I was just at a world's fairground like a week and a half ago. Which one? Have you ever been out to the one in Flushing Meadows? Or the uh... God, I've driven by it a thousand times. I know you always see it on the on the uh, Van Wick or whatever. Yeah, there it is. It's got all the things. I've never been because they've still got the big globe. The globe, the Unisphere, I think, and the 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 parachute ride <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah, those those towers from the Men in Black movies. Yeah, they have scaffolding up on those now. They must be refurbishing. Them. So what's it like? Is it just a big? Now it's just a big park. Like there's a there's a bunch of things that were like we were taken. I wanted to go there because now it's home to the Queen's Museum, which has cool old World's Fair stuff, including that giant miniature model they made of all five oh. boroughs of Manhattan. Oh yeah, have you, you ever seen pictures of that? Yeah, you can actually go see it. It's still there. Yeah, it's enormous. You can walk around it. Like they have uh, the sun go up and down. You see it by different lights because it's it's in a different universe where time passes faster. But it's a different universe too, where the boroughs of uh, of New York are all static in 1960, right? Apparently, they updated it once in the 90s, and I'm I was trying to figure out put the, the World Trade Center in there. The World Trade Center is still there. Oh, and I I'm not sure if no updates are currently happening or if spotty updates sometimes happen, but the World Trade Center is being left as for as a New York thing. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, never forget. I w- I I think they should stop. Updating it immediately because there have been no good buildings put in New York. No, in a long we love time. all those little things that are the size of half of a block but eighty stories tall. Yeah, and they are, look like awful little needles on West Fifty Seventh Street. Like they're so small. Raised. The apartments there actually have to be multiple stories just because the footprint of the building is too small for the kind of wealthy person that would want to live in that building. I looked at uh, at the footprint of one of those apartments yesterday. It, weirdly it's enough the size of this room and i felt like it was the exact footprint the exact design of of like a a two-bedroom apartment you could get in downtown seattle for six hundred thousand dollars i was like <laughs> that's a 15 million dollar apartment it has two bedrooms and no windows but look you're on the 80th story overlooking the park the uh the 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 fair had a lot of water features fountains and whatnot that still have nice names on the map but my kid was very disappointed to actually get there and find that it's just all a bunch of stagnant water or drained, yeah, drained uh, reflecting pools now. And are there teens like skateboarding and and uh, and spraying graffiti on stuff? I believe there actually is a skate park. There's some pretty cool murals by I can't remember who, and the museum's excellent because it's got that cool miniature city, and it's, then it's got a, a a permanent exhibition of. Uh, World's Fair memorabilia. So you get all these cool little tchotchkes that they had at the 60, whatever that was, World's Fair, and a miniature map of the whole thing, including um, the giant Christian science reading room. So I, I have a picture now. I'll, I, should put this on the, um, I should put this on the Patreon page of a Christian science reading room at a World's Fair. 
which might be the most omnibus place. That's pretty cool on earth. I, for years, you would drive by it and it looked completely abandoned. But you're suggesting that it has now been fixed up, or that was your experience, or at least partly cleaned. Yeah, I mean the U.S. Open, the the whatever it is, the Arthur Ashe Tennis Facility or the Billie Jean King, whatever it's called now, is right there. So yeah. they they play the U.S. Open there at Flushing. And so that helps. Um, plus the fact that there's this anchor museum and I think you can take boats out on the lake. Um, it was a, it was definitely the kind of quiet sprawling park where it's mostly elderly Asian people doing Tai Chi mm -hmm. in the morning. Um, good place to play Frisbee, but maybe on a Saturday. I mean, there were, there were a couple hot dog trucks. Yeah. Well, next time I'm in New York, which maybe is never because maybe, Something's changed in my life, and I'll just live in Seattle forever and never travel. Well, we have a better World's Fairground. That's right. Ours still has a science center. Ours is kind of. Ours, they are reopening the science center. Oh, good. Hooray. That's great news. Laser Dome reopened last week as we record this, if you want to go to Laser Floyd or Laser Billy Eilish. How did I not know intuitively that you would be up on the latest Seattle Science Center news? My high schooler <laughs> goes to school right there above the armory oh, right. and has been so disappointed that the Science Center, uh, you know, as uh, at all, as all the stuff has been closed, you know, as every new thing that reopens is, an, is a big source of happiness in our house. Right. So I sent out a link to the family group chat that was like, check this out. Laser Dome's opening this weekend. The butterflies and the dinosaurs are coming back next month. We went to the Science Center when I was in elementary school here in Seattle. We went there twice a year, you know, rain or shine, and it was always a big highlight because it's such a great. I have so many formative memories of testing out uh, a big Archimedean lever and seeing how much you could lift or yeah. um, the, the sad audio animatronic dinosaurs. I Disney, by the way, had audio animatronic dinosaurs at the... New York World's Fair ones, hmm. and it's the ones that are currently in Disneyland. That, and it's a small world, and maybe Mr. Lincoln all started out as uh, 60s World's Fair exhibits. Really? Yeah, and then got ported back to Anaheim. Well, as we'll see, the uh, 1892 World's Fair... Maybe the biggest ever, right? Like, maybe the splashiest expo in history? It was actually in 1893, so it, it was like the, like the Seattle World's Fair. What? It was 1893, Columbus sailed the ocean... Columbus P. sailed the briny sea. Briny sea. There you go. Uh, they didn't get. They didn't actually get it done in time. Was it supposed uh, to be in 1892? I, I mean, it's the 400 year anniversary of Columbus discovering the new world. Plus or minus. And so it's a plus or minus thing, right? Did Columbus do anything in 1493? Like, did he come back? Could it be like the 400th anniversary of? Uh, mm, uh, yeah, he did. He went to Dominica in, 19, in 1493. So well, there you go. A whole thing just to celebrate getting to Dominica. Well, Dominica does not appear any anymore in this story. So let's get it in. Let's enter it into the to the omnibus. It's first and last appearance in the omnibus for the, all the future the, futurelings that live in the sea around the Dominican Republic. Former this, Dominican. Republic. This is not even the Dominican Republic. This is oh, a smaller, the, separate island, island called Dominica. Dominica. Huh? Confusing. Not the only thing confusing about this episode. Okay. This entry in the Omnibus is brought to you with the cooperation of Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Want to start a new side hustle or your next big thing? I do. Squarespace has best-in-class templates, and they keep adding more, Ken. Now you can just browse the category of your business to find a perfect starting place. So for instance, in my case, the Roderick Group. What do you guys sell again? Uh, Roderick. Oh. We sell Rodericks, and me being the primary Roderick, 
I can just browse the templates of uh, business categories and find the one that serves Roderick's the best. And you'll immediately stand out with a beautiful website that engages your audience. It doesn't matter what you're making or doing or selling. They've got the tools that any business would need. Like they've got e-commerce templates, but also inventory management. They've got checkout. They've got secure payments. You don't have to worry about any of that. It all comes with Squarespace. Now, you could be, like I would be, starting a business that's by appointment. See, the Roderick Group... Do you do massages? Uh, no, but if you want... If you want that that sweet Roderick action, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to make an appointment. And you're, you're Squarespace, a busy man. that's right. Squarespace, like for instance, if you were a personal trainer or offering consulting services, which I would be doing, or you're a general contractor who goes out to do estimates, guess what, Ken? Squarespace can add online booking and scheduling, scheduling on online booking and scheduling to your Squarespace site. So Clients can see your availability and even reschedule. I'm going to do that. I'm going to reschedule my uh, my FaceTime with you using your new Squarespace site. <laughs> okay, well, here's what you do. You head to squarespace.com slash omnibus for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code omnibus to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 10%? Oh, boy. The World's Fair, uh, it, it was proposed that there should be a 400th anniversary World's Fair, and a lot of cities vied for it. Uh, and Chicago made a made the best case and was awarded. Wow. No American city farther from the Caribbean at the time than Chicago. That's precisely correct. There is no, and Chicago, like, not at all connected to. It's, the, on, a, it's on a lake. Yeah, Spanish uh, Americas. But Chicago won the award. And, you know, this was uh, when Chicago was a broad-shouldered uh, cow town. Meatpacking town. And really, the World's Fair kind of made Chicago's reputation. It's mm. where the uh, the term the Windy City was coined at the World's Fair. It was um, This was a thing that brought Chicago to the world, and it brought the world to Chicago. And as part of the planning for the World's Fair, it was kind of uh, dreamed up by a guy at the State Department by the name of William Curtis, who was like, what if we well, – hear me out – was this a big part of the State Department back then? It was like just guys, just big big picture world fair, world's fair ideas, just spitballing stuff. He said he worked he worked for the State Department in Spain, and he said to uh, to the Spanish government and to Queen Cristina, Queen Maria Cristina, what if we uh, or you here in Spain built replicas of the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, and sailed them? Reenacting the the uh, the great you know sailing across the Atlantic, except in this case instead of going to the Caribbean, you went up the St. Lawrence Seaway to Chicago. Can you get ships that size uh, to Chicago? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, you can get a lot bigger you boats. Can, yeah, than you that. Can, they get freighters out to. You know. Um, and then th- you'll arrive in Chicago, just like the old days, except. Except now Chicago will be there. In Chicago. The river will be green. And it'll be a big, uh, it'll be like the, the big kicking off ceremony or like the, 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 uh, the jewel in the crown of the World's Fair. Can, can I ask you a question? Yeah, go. This is a common thing now, right? Replica boats doing great, doing great journeys. You know, clipper ships trying to reenact a certain voyage or the big ships of the Bicentennial or somebody like Heyerdahl trying to reenact a, a hypothetical voyage in a period accurate boat. Is uh is this the first time anybody proposes let's build fake old boats and reenact a voyage? 
I think it might be. Right? I mean, yeah. As, as you just mentioned, it became a, um, a whole thing. And actually, it becomes a double thing just in, in the uh, terms of this story. In the next hour, it's going to become a double thing. In the next hour, it's a double thing. And, and partly it is, it very quickly became uh, what I guess you would call performance as a form of research. Right, like this was just a publicity stunt, the Nina the Pinta and the Santa Maria, but but some of the things like the Thor Heidel example and and most subsequent examples, uh, it, it, they're trying to prove something. Like, could right. this have been done? Is this possible? I mean, they're like, still doing it in a big splashy way that will get you in National Geographic magazine. That's the performance, but there is some element of um, of research. Of, yeah, like what what materials would work or not work for this. So the so Congress allocates a certain amount of money. The Spanish go to work building these boats in uh, the year before, in 1891. And they, they, they lay a new keel and, and start to build the Santa Maria in a, um, you know, as a period replica. Just in some Spanish shipyard somewhere? Yeah. But, but there's some cost-cutting happening, and they actually try to build the Nina and the Pinta out of old, like some older kind of rotting ships that, uh, they had laying around. So they didn't, I mean, that's what you do if you were doing this in a movie, you'd be like, okay, what, what are we going to build? What, what's the chassis we're going to build the Batmobile on? Right. What's the old period ship we can make look a little bit like the Pinta. Yeah, that's, that's right. They found an old 64 Lincoln Continental and they said, this'll be the Nina, the Nina, (laughs) and this'll be the Pinta. So, but that seems like a really bad plan if you're going to try and sail a ship across the ocean, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're going to, if that's the plan, like start from scratch, do it right. Uh, in the end, they, they built the Santa Maria pretty well, uh, well enough that she w- was able to sail across the ocean. Oh. Uh, the Nina and the Pinta had to be towed across the ocean. By the Santa Maria? Not by the Santa oh. Maria, by a, by a U.S. Navy steamer. That's kind of funny. Columbus breaks down, has to call a tow truck. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the... I guess you just selectively take the photos. Because, that's exactly it. And and it's, basically, this is almost a pre-photographic age anyway, right? What you're mostly getting is people reading reports in the morning paper of, where is the Santa Maria? Well, even that, probably, you kind of, you know, they left Cadiz in March, and, yeah. you know, and uh, we're, we're, somebody's in a tower at Nags Head, looking out with a, they're really they're really out of touch for yeah. uh, in the pre radio age. Yeah, yeah, there wouldn't have been another way. Um, and so, all, but all the excitement, all of the like the Contiki style, like how did they do it? Is it period correct? Like were they dressed in in pirate shirts? There were, really wasn't an aspect of that to the crossing itself. It was just like let's get these boats over here. We'll have an exhibit that we can say came over from Spain, just like Columbus, right? But and, there's, and there's not much of a real time and a missed opportunity event. in that sense, right? Sure. It, it, that was something that came uh, almost immediately on the heels of it, actually. Um, and so the the three ships end up up the St. Lawrence Seaway. You know, they arrive at the at the fair. The fair has constructed a big pond. Um, Set the scene. I mean, this is a fantastic, crazy, like kind of proto Art Deco marble city, right? Fake, fake marble city, right? The White City of this in, uh, incredible, um, you know, kind of Greek architecture, and it established 
it's it's it, it's on the site of Lincoln Park in in Chicago now, which at the time was kind of just a swampy bog, and it was just transformed into maybe the ultimate example of a World's Fair campus. It is crazy that all these campuses just disappeared. You well, know, we like, had one here in Washington. Yeah, the the one at UW, the, the AYP. Yeah, where they they purpose built these fantastic buildings, and then at the end they were like, they tore them down. There's one left in San Francisco, which is that weird palace of knowledge yeah. down by Golden Gate some Park. Shows there. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 the arts. it's rotting cause it's fake, you know, but, right. um, but still it's all that's better than, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's still a hundred years old, but there were, but it's from a t- you look at a map and you're like, Oh, there were literally 20 buildings this size. And this is the one little colonnade that's left. Yeah. Enormous halls. I mean, we, we built the, 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 uh, the kingdom here in 1976 and it didn't last till the year 2000. <laughs> so testament to the, to how beautiful these were. Planned obsolescence. My great grandmother actually performed as a, as a singer at the Chicago world's fair no. and won a silver medal. I thought you were going to say she was like some kind of sexy fan dancer. No, but no, what no. Fake she, singer? she was a, uh, she, what kind of singer? Like operatic a, a, a singer. Opera? Yeah. Wow. Was um, she, was she a well-known personage? Uh, well, she was like a, a, the Washington state representative to the singing contest. All the states sent delegations. And, and she won a medal and then her daughter, my grandmother went on the strength of that, those relationships went to study in France as a, as a singer. Is the medal still in the family? Uh, it may be, but I've never seen it. (laughs) The relative who has it is not sharing. I have a couple of uncles and cousins that, that have archives that they keep kind of sealed, Mm. unfortunately. Um, anyway, so yeah, to really set the scene, they staged a landing of the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria where, uh, hundreds of costumed extras dressed as, Native, uh, natives of the Caribbean, plus, plus people in like dressed as monks and there, you know, there was a whole, uh, there was a whole landing pageant, tens of thousands of people there to witness the landing of Columbus as he stepped off and planted the flag of Spain. And this is a, a purely historical thing where <laughs> the Lincoln Park, the natives are super stoked to see him. Oh and yeah. And then, then there's a big, you know, there's a, they have a Thanksgiving Turkey. <laughs> uh, it's a, you know, and they're, and they are so psyched to oh. receive Christ. Oh which, yeah. You know, he's throwing Bibles, the whole thing's sponsored by Wells Fargo somehow. So yep. there's like corporate logos. It was a, it was a really, you know, big, exciting event and a, and like a, you know, a capstone event of the fair, which I mean, the fair had so many, uh, they ran for like a year. Didn't these, didn't these fairs used to just run forever? This, this one went the entire summer, um, and was, and actually the fair itself culminated or not culminated, I guess, but it ended in tragedy because in the final week of the fair, um, the beloved mayor of Chicago, Carter Harrison, was assassinated. What? And so uh, assassinated by you know some uh, some crank who 
who had run for office and lost. Wait, this happened to William McKinley. We had a U.S. president shot at a World's Fair. We need to stop having these. That's the thing. Well, we have stopped having them. There have been, Is that why, though? There have been very few World's Fairs because, in recent years. Because you're so worried about the president. I do feel like, well, if you're going to have a World's Fair, kind of like uh, the the way the uh, vice president and president don't travel together. That's right. Don't let the president visit the World's Fair. And I think, right, Kennedy never visited the the Seattle World's Fair. He he, op- he he opened it remotely. Opened it with the with a with a phone or a buzzer or something. Yeah. But Nixon came. Oh, that's true. And survived. <laughs> <laughs> he was not tossed from the space needle. Well, contemporaneous with this. Did, uh, hey, do you think that's where Nixon and Elvis first met? They were both at the I believe, World's Fair. Well, do you think they were hanging out? I bet they didn't meet at the World's <laughs> Fair because there'd be a picture. No, I bet they only they what first if, met at the at the White House. What if in that poster they're like, hey, remember, when we, remember when we saw each other at the World's Fair? Hey, buddy. Uh, how's it going? I do not recall. <laughs> those were great, really lazy Thank impressions of my, both Elvis Those are and my Nixon. two best impressions. They will not be returning to the show. So, 10 years prior, let's set the Wayback Machine to 10 years prior to where we had already set the Wayback Machine, which was the Chicago World's Fair. We're in the 1880s. It's 1880. And uh, it's 1880. And in Gokstad, Norway, some farm boys and some local rascals had, uh, there, there were, in Norway, there are a lot of mounds. There are, you know, there's there was a mound culture there, a, right. bar, a burial bar- culture. They're barrows, they're burial stuff. And there was a mound in Gokstad called the uh, King Mound that was just on a local farm, and it was this was prior to the uh, to an era where people started excavating these mounds. It was uh, the, most of the mounds were just sort of like, oh yeah, there's, there's a, a hill over there, uh, and it was recognized that they that they were prehistoric but thought that they were thought of just as like we do the american mounds just sort of like oh it's up there's nothing in there nobody ever dropped into them to kill a skeleton and steal his sword and so so you know some local yokels decide you know we're gonna why don't we dig in the mound and see what we find and these are not even students these are just um i think they were actually the sons of the guy that owned the farm just kids with too much time on their hands "Uh, you know what about the mound what's the most fun thing to do in norway in the summer well let's go dig a hole and what what had happened was over the centuries they had actually been sort of cultivating crops on or near the mound and had largely plowed uh plowed away the mound so that without very much digging these boys uncovered planks of a ship. Ah. And it was, Viking funeral, is that right? It was, well. Very, very, well, we'll Yeah, it was very exciting. And uh, and a local archaeologist or a national archaeologist came out. It was winter, weirdly, and said, well, you've discovered something cool here. Let's, you know, let's hold off. And in the spring, we'll start excavating it properly. And when they did... They discovered a Viking ship, which uh, on, on land, an enormous Viking ship, which had which was part of a burial ceremony for a uh, for a Viking king, some chieftain type, a chieftain type. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of speculation about the identity, but uh, but unprovable. I should know this when they uh, like I saw the 
the Ray Fiennes movie about the one of these they discovered in in Sussex or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. When they when they Vikings did this, would they bring a, a ocean going ship ashore and bury the person in, it, or would they build kind of a custom land ceremonial version, like a mock up for the burial? Is it a real? Are those real ships? This is a real ship. Wow, uh, a real ship that had once sailed the ocean blue. But aren't they hard to bring out? Like this is this must be pretty far inland in this Barrow story. Well, it's not. I mean, it's uh, there's no place in Norway that's that far inland. Am I right? Everything's next to a fjord. I mean, you can bring it. You could you could pull it up to the top of the hill. But they didn't do that. This is this is a uh, Norway's got a lot of little fiddly bits. On the coast. It does have tons of fiddly bits. It's, desi- it's designed for easy long ship access to any funeral. They hauled this ship up to a, to a place to, where they could then bury it. You know, ancient people did all kinds of kooky things, and this was one of those. But no, it was a— They were probably hopped up on something. They were hopped up on, on Norwegian Give, goofballs. They ate some kind of lichen, and they were like, let's bring this ship up. <laughs> they, uh, they determined that this ship was built in or, in or around eight— 800, late, late 800, so let's say 900, 890 to 900. And uh, it was a burial ship. They buried, there, there were human remains found. The um, It's a large craft. Um, we would say it's about 78 feet long. So wow. pretty big. And for our international listeners, that is 23 and a half meters long. Uh, I mean, those Viking ships are always much smaller in person than you imagine. I mean, many historical ships are just so much smaller when you see them than you imagine. And this is a this but that's a pretty, big size, pretty big boy, yeah. right? I mean, in contrast, the Santa Maria is 117 feet long, so you know, significantly longer. But uh, but those the, Viking galleys are small. Well, and the so, so the the Nina the Nina. Was only fifty feet long, so the 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 Gokstad boat split the difference right pretty, in the middle. Pretty large boat, um, but unlike the 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 caravels, the Spanish ships, it had no uh, there was no top deck. It was an open ship. It didn't have like a like a house on the back for the captain. So it, if if you're out rowing this thing across the North Sea, which you would be, yeah, you have no protection from the elements. It was meant to be rowed. It had it had spaces for 32 oarsmen. It had a sail. It had a mast and a and a central sail. But it was used to explore. It was it's a Viking ship used to explore, uh, used to conquer the. The uh, Angles and the Saxons. Is the oars just for speed then, or is it? Do they have bad sail tech, or was it when you just you had to go against the wind? I guess. Uh, the the thing about the the design of the ship is it's it's great if you have uh, if you have a, a nice steady wind and a calm sea, the sail can push you, you know, huckledy buck up to twelve knots. Huckledy buck. Huckledy buck. What, what, what's it called above 12 knots? Do you have a little rhyming phrase for that? Uh, it's a zoomity zoom. Yes, nickety snuck. You know, John, I deal in answers and questions for a living. I know you do. In that order. I for, have a lot of questions about how that happened for you. <laughs> it's a little weird. <laughs> and you have so few answers. That's because generally I have the answer first and then oh, sure. the question. Sure, sure, of course. But, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes it can be difficult to hunt down answers to questions. You're on the internet. You've got a real life question like, how do I find real candidates to fill these job openings that have the right skills? Isn't that the kind of thing you're often wondering as you're Googling? It is. And you know, I've hired a lot of people in my day uh, to work for, um, to work in your 
Tanzanite mines. Yeah, and to work for the Roderick Group. And um, I've had very mixed results. I don't really know how to get the right candidates for the job. It's su- the, the Roderick Group is a very specialty operation. You're always, you know, firing people from uh, from Waystar Rodco. Yeah, throwing them off the throwing them off the the. the the observation platform on the 108th floor. We have a lot of government contracts, the Roderick Group, uh, that you know that I'm not allowed to really talk about. But so my employees have to be pretty specialized. I mean, do you have a solution to this problem? Let me recommend to you, indeed. Indeed, the Roderick Group needs indeed to be its hiring partner because it's one-stop shopping for attracting, interviewing, and hiring new talent all in one place. But I'm not an expert at this. Is there is there some learning curve where I have to figure out how to do a whole process? No. With uh with Indeed's instant match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates and you don't pay unless they meet the must-have requirements you've posted for your Roderick Group jobs. But aren't there a ton of job sites that offer these services? Why would I choose Indeed? Indeed does it all. They deliver four times more hires than all other job sites combined. John, so you you don't have to sit around posting on multiple sites. Let the talent come to you with Indeed.com. They'll partner with you on every step of the hiring process, all the way through assessments, virtual interviews, everything till they come on board. Indeed is there for you. Well, I'm ready to start hiring right now, but I'd, I'd like a little enticement. And I know Omnibus often offers Futurelings a special deal. Oof. What if we sponsored some kind of job credit? Would that be? Would that wiggle the dial, as it were, for it, you? It would. I kind of feel like uh, that's that's a that's pretty special. What what are we going to offer? You'd probably be pretty impressed if it was like a. $25 sponsored job credit? Yeah, that would that'd get me off the stool. You'd be even happier if it was a $50 sponsored job Come credit? Come on, who can afford to, to pass this opportunity up? You know what? I'm going to sweeten the pot further. Even though you've just said you would be happy with the lower numbers, I'm, I'm not, I don't know why I'm doing this. What are you going to do, money bags? I want you to start hiring right now. I'm going to offer a $75 sponsored job credit. So go to indeed.com slash omnibus to claim your $75 credit. That's correct. Indeed.com slash omnibus. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If the seas are rough or you're really, um, or you're, you're sailing much faster than that, though if the wind is really high, uh, the ship is going to take on water. It's not meant uh, to, right. you know, it's not a ship that you really can't over and, and, get up to 16 knots or whatever. I mean, it's, it is a, it's a volatile design because it's low gunwales. And so, you know, to really move in rough seas, I think you go to the oars. But these guys were going to Constantinople. Like they had, they had seen all the Mediterranean ships. They, they had chosen this design, right? Well, I mean, we're talking about eight, eight, nine hundred. This is, uh, yes, that's true. This is 500 years. Bef- I mean, ship design really changed in that, in the 500 years between, between 900 and 1492. But this, these were the ships that, uh, that the Vikings used to discover Iceland. And this is very, very close to the kind of ship that Leif Erikson would have sailed from Greenland to Vinland 
when he arguably discovered America. What's the era of that? That's after 800, right? Uh, it's, it's well, like so the, we're talking the about thousands. Yeah, it's 1000, right? The Gokstad ship was built in 900 and Leif Erikson okay. discovered Vinland in 1000, uh, give or take. And given the slow rate of technology change back then, that's the difference between a 2005 Subaru and a 2015 Subaru. Maybe not even that, <laughs> right? A 2015 and a 2012 it's Subaru. It's true. It wouldn't have a backup camera. And who knows when Leif Erikson uh, sailed the ocean blue to Vinland slash Newfoundland, whether or not he was in a new Subaru or a used Subaru. What's the current thinking of did Leif Erikson ever hit mainland North America? I think the current thinking is that, yes, yes. absolutely. The Vikings were in uh, Newfoundland and, and Nova Scotia and the... Uh, and maybe you're still there. We don't know. And and then came all the way to Minnesota, where they established uh, the, a tribe of Native Americans that had blue hair, blue hair and blonde eyes. They skipped right over Chicago, nothing to see there yet, and stayed in Minnesota. Uh, they and they and I think the archaeological record is that they overwintered and they had they made multiple journeys back and forth. Um, they called it Vinland because they found wild grapes, which they. Uh, they took back with them to Greenland and Iceland. They came and harvested timber and took it. I mean, you know, there's nothing in Greenland. and I mean, there's not that much in Labrador, but I guess it's, by, by comparison. By comparison, a rich land. Yeah. And in the 19th century, uh, there was, at the time, quite a bit of interest in the story of Leif Erikson discovering America. So there was already kind of this, this anti-Columbus revisionism at the time. Yeah, it was very key. See, Norway was at the time a vassal state of Sweden and Norway was, had an independence movement. And the idea that Vikings and Norwegians had discovered America, this was all part of a kind of interesting, uh, like a identity movement of, Norwegianness. Norwegianness, right. Well, because this is what happens with the Columbus myth, right? It's propagated by the same thing, Italian-American pride. Um, I don't know, the, is, is that part of this story in the 1880s, or would, that be, or would that be a 20th century? No, it's a massive part of it. There's a, there, a, you know, a, a lot of Italians have emigrated to the United States in the late, late 19th century, and also a lot of Norwegians mm. and Scandinavians have come and settled the, the Middle West. The Midwest is full of both, yeah. And so, uh, at, at first, it doesn't begin as a pissing contest, but having discovered the uh, the Gokstad ship, which they then excavate and put on display, and there's all this interest in its construction. Right? It's a it's like a, a beautiful ship in in many ways. Like um, like uh, it influences ship design, not not for it's uh, it's draft but for its lines it has those classic you know it's got a dragon on the yeah. front and a curly q and it's this was like not well known to people in the imagining viking times yeah and it's 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 long and beautiful and and on the outside you know all the rowers actually kind of hook their round shields that have all their sh their their heraldic symbols on them. I mean, this is like a children's book illustration. I imagine, it is. you know, kind of the NC Wyeth period or the, or who's the other guy, but, um, it sounds like Wyeth would have been drawing from this discovery. Yeah. Like this is the ship that gives us the typical Viking ship of our childhoods. And it has, it, it's, it's, it's designed, it has, um, like the, 
Howard Pyle. I just thought of the other illustrator. There you go. Howard Pyle. Sorry, go ahead. The woodworking on the boat is just really elegant, like an ancient kind of craftsmanship. The, and it survived? Uh, and, it, and, and the boat is intact. Because Sutton, who just had, like, the wood is just, you know, you've got the impressions of where the wood was before it rotted. But this, but here you can see the carving. The 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 timber is there, and actually the wow, the uh, the the king or the the noble, whoever it was that was buried in the boat. Although early grave robbers had taken all the swords and gold, uh, there were uh, the remains of twelve horses had been sacrificed with him, huh. uh, six dogs, and one peacock. Why would the Vikings bring a single peacock? Well, this it was, must have been the king's favorite peacock. You got to have two if you want to have peacock eggs and baby peacocks. I don't think they were sacrificing them in order to have them in Valhalla. It may have just been uh, food for the journey and maybe companionship. Maybe the peacock was there. For- Do you think it's a peahen? Are they are they scrambling peahen eggs every morning? I, or does it have the big beautiful tail? I don't. I think the the record is silent on whether or not. I wonder if you could even tell. You could eat peacock a thousand eggs. years later if, if the bones were <laughs> if the bones were male or female peacock. But the um and actually the you know, the boat was constructed with iron rivets, but the but the um the long it's made out of oak and the long planks were like like individually tapered as they went the length of the ship. I mean, made very elegantly. And then the, uh, the, uh, the keel, they discovered there were no rivets in the keel. It was tied together with, uh, with withies, which are from, which are, uh, like little sticks that are, that come from pollarding. Oh, like they're like pegs instead of, uh, no, they're actually tied with oh, long, like, like willow sticks mm. in order to keep the keel, I see. They're bendy, light and long, flexible. bendy twigs. I can yeah. pi- I can picture this now. Pollarding. We, Pollard. we did an epi- yes. episode on. Anyway, so as the uh, as the ship is excavated and put on display, and everyone kind of in the global press is talking about the Chicago Exposition and Columbus discovering America and the four hundred year anniversary, and they're rebuilding the Nina, the Pinta, and Santa Maria, and they're going to sail it across the ocean. Blue. Uh, the, the ocean blue. The Norwegians. Go, huh. well, why don't we rebuild the Gokstad? And a shipyard owner by the name of Christian Christensen, which you can only find. We, we often call out fake names, but there are, there's nothing fake about Scandinavian names. You couldn't, you couldn't fake them, no. right? Well, there's only like eight of them. Yeah. So Christian Christensen. And Arn Arneson and, and Christian Magnuson. Christian daughter. Uh, Christian Christensen owns a shipyard called the Rudsverven shipyard in Sandefjord, Norway. I know how to pronounce Scandinavian names because I just do Swedish chef from the Muppets. You know, I think in Sweden, he is called the Norwegian chef and he has their idea of a Norwegian accent. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that even more. Uh, he commissions, a, a, a an accurate reconstruction of the Gosta Ship with the, the idea of a ship. transatlantic voyage. Yes. Wow. They rebuild it like to scale, a perfect reconstruction. And uh, he he recruits a captain by the name of Magnus Anderson, who uh, basically that's a that's like a, a heavy metal name because all Norwegian names are heavy metal. Please names. leave your death metal group for a few months and sail this ship across the Atlantic for us. And it's a, and it's a it's a, 
like a big exciting thing in Norway. They uh, 200 different sailors all put their names in to be included in the in the crossing. But they're proposing a crossing with no naval escort. Uh They got a row. They're going to they're going to do this like old school. Nobody's going with them. They're going to set out and yeah, and hoist their big square sail when they can. We got to find a peacock and then row the rest of the way. They end up only using a crew of 11. Huh. Uh, and I, and I never discovered why they didn't have the full complement of 32 oarsmen. Uh, and they, you know, they, they made a couple of modern concessions. They built a tent so that they didn't have to be in the rain and sun. And those snowflakes. Your, your ancestors would not have needed a tent, Sven. And then, uh, apparently in, you know, the original Vikings just had a, had a cauldron that they made mm. stew in. And these guys wanted better food, so I think they brought a little stove or something. You know, they had like they had a gas stove. They had some food, uh, but they slept on reindeer hides, and otherwise had no uh, had no like modern uh, mod cons. Uh, this episode, by the way, was suggested by an omnibus futureling by the name of Eric Rasmussen, and his great great grandfather Rasmus Rasmussen. <laughs> <laughs> Rasmus Rasmussen was one of the crew members. Wow. Yeah, one of the 11. So they left Bergen in April of 1893 and sailed across the Atlantic successfully. The, Br- the Briny Sea. And arrived in New York City to enormous fanfare. Now, did they get there before the Nina Pinton Santa Maria? No, right? No. They, the Nan- they had come straight to Chicago the year before. Well, not the year before. They were the Nina Pinton and Santa Maria took 147 days to get from Cadiz to Chicago through various, you know, they had to stop along the way. Did the Norwegians make better time? The I Norwegians mean, made better time. I mean, Bergen to New York is obviously a much shorter flight. Uh, from Bergen to New York versus Cadiz to New York? Yeah, it is. And Chicago oh. would add quite a bit more. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Bergen. Oh, right. Of course. Okay. I was just trying to do the math. I was like, is that right? Oh yeah. The earth gets skinny up there. Yeah, it does get skinny. Anyway, they arrive and there's a, there's a big, uh, there's a big to do. Everybody's excited to see them. It was, uh, you know, and they make the rounds in New York, although they are booed by Italians ah, because it is very definitely, uh, seen as a challenge. It's a shot across Columbus's bow. Literally. That's right. That's right. Um, and then they do the, the, uh, the crew of the, of the Viking. Oh, I, I, I didn't say that the ship was christened by Christian Christensen. Christian Christensen? Christian? Christened it? Christened it. The Viking. That's, that's a little on the nose. It's a little on the nose. I mean, I don't know. We probably have no record of what the Vikings ever named their ships. Like, but you'd think they'd be like, this is Tooth Nasher. Or, no, or that, it was all GS174N. <laughs> uh, so then they take, of course, the the ancient Viking route up the Hudson to the Erie, Erie Canal and across the Erie Canal. Uh, is that right? And then... You can take a Viking ship up the Erie Canal, huh? Well, at the time. To the St. Lawrence. And then they arrive in the Viking at the Chicago World's Fair as a kind of... Have they been invited? Uh, they sort of ro- they sort of roll in. I mean, Viking. That's what Vikings do. That's they right. show up. They show up at your city and they just come ashore. And uh, if you don't care, they don't care. It's not called the World Leaf Erickson Exhibition. 
Did they just start lighting stuff on fire? Is that how the White City well, burned Well, they down? came in and immediately sank the Nina the Pinnacle San No, they show up, and and it's a big... Uh, it's a big event. Everybody's super excited to see the Viking arrive. All the Norwegians and Scandahuvians of the North or of the Midwest, you know, uh, are thrilled to kind of make this to, to, with the arrival of the Viking, uh, I don't know, what would you call it? It's like, it, it, they, they almost had a dance off, right? <laughs> like it was, it's, it's like an eighties, uh, break dancing movie who discovered America first. Is this is this happening like in uh, opinion columns and stuff? Like, is there is there discourse of any kind, or is this just um, is this just happening like between barkers at the fair? Well, so as you re- recall, in our lifetimes, this story of Leif Erikson uh, discovering the Americas was was still a kind of contentious or right. doubtful story. And is that is that Italian propaganda? Until the archaeologists discovered Lance uh, aux Meadows in, uh, in that's the site in Canada in Canada, and were able to excavate it and go like, yeah, they were here. I mean, there's kind of little doubt about it, but that didn't happen until the mid 20th century. What the what the Norwegians were basing their claim on were all the Norse legends, old songs, and the Norse legends. You know, the stories differed very much. In one of them, Leif Erikson. Uh, got to Vinland, turned right around and went back. In another, he that overwintered. That is the correct response in getting to Canada. Is what? Turn around and yeah, back. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> um, so the legends themselves were fairly complicated. A lot of them, kind of like the Bible, most of them weren't written until 200 years after the events depicted. So there's a lot of... And, lot, and they all started out as oral anyway. We, we right. happen to have the the rare ones that got written down much later. Yeah, there's all there's there are three or four epics written in the 1200s talking about Leif Erikson in the 900s. Um so just based on that, you know, it wasn't as conclusive as I think you can say that there's conclusive evidence that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. The Ford Mustang I think is like, you know, the Appaloosa. Now that the Mustang has been invented. Hey, by the way, I overstated the difference. Bergen is indeed closer to New York than Cotty's, but not that much just because of the massive latitude difference. I was kind of thinking of how quick you get to the new world from Bergen. And that's true. But the nearest point is, is Is Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little closer than from Cotty's. Well, so, uh, the world's fair closes, with the death, uh, with, death of the mayor, with the murder of the mayor, and killed by Vikings, probably. <laughs> now you've got you've got the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, and the Viking all just sitting in Lake Michigan, sitting in Lake Michigan in Lincoln Park. What would you do? What's the what's the most fun thing to do with four historical ship replicas in Lake Michigan? Well, what what uh, what ends up happening is immediately they all are neglected and decay. Uh, the, the, Immediately. The Viking d- takes a trip the next year down to, uh, down to New Orleans, overwinters in New Orleans, and comes back, just kind of does like a victory lap, stops in St. Louis. Is, know, that, every, is that tourism for the crew, or are they showing it off? No, they're showing it off. Everybody wants to see it. You know, it's a beautiful boat. Um, the, uh, the, the three replicas of Columbus's ships... Um, are, I mean, the, the Nina and the Pinta were already kind of rotten and they sat there 
in the park and decayed, but it was suggested with the, um, like very soon thereafter, well, I guess not that soon, 15 years later, uh, they were talking about the opening the Panama canal and the, the kind of exciting hip idea was, Oh, well, well, let's take the three ships down to the Panama canal sail through the canal and take them to San Francisco. Like Columbus would never, what would Columbus, what would Columbus do? WWCD. He would try to trick somebody into sailing some fake ships through the Panama canal. So they, you know, they slap a coat of paint on them and they head out from Chicago to make this journey. But the Nina and the Pinta immediately are in big trouble. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of that. Uh, they make it as far as Detroit, <laughs> with Italians bailing furiously the whole way. Yeah, they can't they can't get uh, they they kind of um, they're not seaworthy. Uh, eventually, I think they flop and flounder their way as far as Buffalo, New York, before realizing that these ships uh, these ships will not make the trek uh, and they head back to Chicago, but the Santa Maria more seaworthy newer ship manages to get as far as Rhode Island. <laughs> so the Wait, Santa Maria gets all the way out the St. Lawrence been across the Atlantic once, but I guess in the state of disrepair after the fair. Yeah. They didn't care for it. Um, they, uh, they don't make it to Panama. They find they, you know, they limp and, and uh and and what spume they limp and spume their way back to chicago and have uh, inglorious ends the pinta sank at her moorings in 1919 uh the nina caught fire and sank these are just all in lake michigan right in lake michigan and they kept the santa maria alive rebuilt her a couple of times but eventually did not take any care. Uh, she was stripped of her, of her parts by vandals and left to kind of rot in the Harbor as a, you know, and was a tourist attraction for a long time. This is a recurring omnibus theme though. Yeah. That people don't take care of their boats. They do not take care of their boats. They do not take care of their replica boats. There's always plans every 10 years to take good care of the boat. And then the plans come to naught. And by 1950, the Santa Maria was a wreck, and and uh, I've heard accounts that she either burned or was just a bunch of rotten boards that were kind of uh, pulled out of the water with a with a uh, crane. Maybe part of it burned. Part of it burned. And part of it sunk and had to be pulled out of the water with a crane. <laughs> part of it burned. Part of it sunk. So advantage Norway. Weirdly. Uh, after the fair, but before the trip to uh, before the aborted trip to to, San to, to Panama, in 1900, a cyclist was cycling by through Lincoln Park and saw a ghostly apparition on the poop deck of the Santa Maria. Is it said it was it said it was a shaggy-haired captain that rose up out of the out of the the depths of the ship and, and put hand to brow searching the horizon and the, the ghost, the ghostly apparition of Columbus himself 
appeared in 1900 on the Santa Maria and became a part of the the tourist attraction. They would talk about how Columbus how Columbus himself ha- haunts these these planks haunts the planks. Which so the implication would be that you don't haunt your own dwelling necessarily, but you would haunt the thing that looked most like it. Yes, that's right. Like if I came back in 500 years and my house has been burned down, I would just find some colonial Williamsburg-like recreation of 21st century Seattle, and I would move into a house there. Yeah, or you would haunt the 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 like one half scale Jeopardy set that they have at the Museum of, <laughs> of Television in New York City. Like, how did he get here? So it's canon that Columbus has been to Chicago. Yeah, I wonder what he thought of it. Do you think he had a dog? Well, and I th- think he had some deep dish pizza. I think there have even been reports of more recent cyclists, cyclists even unto the nineties, who even though the ships are gone, why is it always cyclists? See, well, there those are who are in Lincoln Park. Have you been to Lincoln Park? I recently? guess that's true. But maybe cycling puts you in the weird kind of brain fog where. Where you're like, yeah, but you'd think man. these guys would report seeing Walter Payton's ghost or something. I mean, that would be a little more Chicago. Like, why is it always Columbus? Well, that's the thing. You don't get to pick the ghost, Ken. The ghost picks you. The Viking fared a little better. Oh, right. What happened to the Viking? Well, I should say, first, the Viking fared little better because they also neglected the Viking. The Viking sat there uh they pulled it out of the water, thankfully, and put it in Lincoln Park under a tent Please, or under folks, a building. Do maintenance on your boats. If we're speaking to a bunch of you know pediatricians who all have boats, go down right now. Yeah, pull them out of the water, scrape the barnacles off of them, new coat of varnish. Do it every winter. In this case, they although they pulled the Viking out of the water, they didn't really mind it. It sat there, kind of. People sort of forgot about it. Now, this Leif Erikson story and the and the voyage of the Viking actually precipitated a kind of Leif Erikson celebratory movement in the 20th century. Columbus is old school. Here's yeah. the hero you need to know now. And even here in Seattle, if you go out to Shilshol, there's a statue of Leif Erikson. Well, there's a lot of Scandinavian places with Scandinavian immigration would have had a lot of ethnic pride at right. having a, a hero who could rival the guy on the stamps. And so all across the United States, there are Leif Erikson statues and Leif Erikson uh, commemorative Norwegian like friendship halls. But the ship itself got moved around. It was at the, it was in Lincoln park for a long time. Then in 1994, they, uh, they expanded the zoo there and they moved the Viking. They, uh, they took the dragon head off of the front and, and a, a similar kind of decorative element off of the keel and to protect them and put them in a museum and a group of, you know, the sort of, uh, the traditional form of, Norwegian expression, which is to form a friendship society and then devote yourself to restoring an old ship. We oh, see that here. I thought it was just in Seattle drinking Everclear. Oh, and something. they drink Everclear and restore an old ship. That's how Norwegians <laughs> bond with each other because they can't express their emotions. You can use this as varnish and as refreshment. <laughs> um, but the but the Viking survives. It has now, in very shoddy shape, been moved to. Geneva, Illinois. I don't know where that is. Well, no one does. Uh, Geneva, is Illinois. It is, it's a very small town south of Chicago. 
in Illinois. It is it, not on the lake. It has no relationship to Columbus or the Norwegians. Uh, it's just a place. But you know, when you bring it up on Google Earth, one of the four things marked is Friends of the Viking Ship. There it is. So they, they're really banking on their, on their Viking purchase. The Friends of the Viking Ship have moved the remains of the Viking into a tent, or they've built a tent around it, that looks like the kind of... Um, Looks like a sort of Quonset hut where you would grow strawberries <laughs> or maybe marijuana. Right. You know, one of those greenhouse looking ones. Yeah, it's but it's made out of um it's made out of plastic sheeting and wood, but they have enclosed the Viking and are in the process of I think they're raising money and they're they're trying to preserve it first. And then ultimately restore it. It's not visitable now. I don't want everyone listening to this to stop right now and run to Geneva, Illinois. If you live in Geneva, Illinois, you've probably already heard and know where the Viking is and have probably gone by and poked your head in the inevitable holes in the plastic sheeting. The hole looks like it's in pretty good shape. I'm looking at pictures of the uh, of the little yeah. Quonset greenhouse it's, it's in. It's just that the wood has, you know, in order to preserve a ship, it's... It's expensive. I mean, even just to have a dumb boat on Lake Union is expensive. But it's impressive in these old photos decked out in its oars and shields. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And if you want to see a Viking ship, the one ship that has been well-preserved and is on display in uh, of, all, of all of these ships is the original Gokstad ship. which The, the one that's a thousand years older? Which is in the Viking Ship Museum in Oslo, Norway, and you can go visit it. And it's uh, it's an ex- extremely impressive boat. I haven't been there to see it, but uh, but Eric Rasmussen has, and I know quite a few people have reported that it's a. I mean, there's a Viking Ship Museum in Oslo that has <laughs> more than just the one Viking ship. It's really, really worth visiting. It's got the Oseberg ship. It's got. It's a it's a cool thing. I you know when I was in Oslo, I went to the Arctic Exploration Museum, their their polar ships, and I went to the Kontiki Museum. But I believe I did not go to the Viking Ship Museum. I think if you'd gone to the Viking Ship Museum, you would remember it. Well, let's go. Let's pledge to go to the Viking Ship Museum when it reopens. You, me, Rasmus Rasmussen, Christian Christensen. If your name is, if your first name is most of your last name, you are invited <laughs> to join us on this great trip back across the Atlantic. That is, th- this is our pledge. You and I are going to visit the Viking Ship Museum. I know, I know you did not think you were making a pledge and you're thinking right now, oh God, am I really going to have to do this? Yes. At some point, we're going to visit this museum together. I love this. I love Norway. We're going back. And that concludes The Viking, entry 1395.IS3321, certificate number 21995, in the omnibus. Speaking of things that don't age well when a thousand years pass, John and I were on social media in our day at Omnibus Project, and individually as at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick, respectively. Replicas of our social media presences have been rebuilt and have sunk in Lake Michigan. We have sailed them across <laughs> the, uh, the ocean internet cables. Wouldn't that be funny if, you know, in the same way that, you know, people resend historic messages like what hath God wrought or come here, Watson, I want you. Right. Wouldn't it be funny in 500 years if somebody's like, we're going to resend the first email or here's, here's the first emoji. We're about to, we're about to send it across SMS. <laughs> Are you ready? Ready for some classic tweets? Ping! 
Uh, yeah, President Musk will insist on us um, re-airing all his best tweets. I yeah, mean, I know I mean, he's, he's not a natural-born citizen, but I'm sure once the Constitution changes to allow apartheid-era immigrants to become U.S. president. What uh, what was your first tweet? Was it, check, check, is this thing on? Was I think, it? I think it was essentially, check, check, is this thing on? Yeah. Because you want to be funny, but, you know, nobody's following you, so what's it even for? Right. You've got you've got zero followers. Hi, I'm on Twitter. Um, maybe that's everybody's first tweet. It's just that nobody ever sees most people's. Hello? 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 <laughs> Here's a picture of my sandwich. Bologna sandwich for lunch was my classic first tweet. Mm. Uh, don't do anything that would get John to post, but you can um, you can find like-minded futurelings on uh, on Meta or elsewhere. Hmm. Meta. On Meta. You can go to the Metaverse. Mm-hmm. Put your Google Glass on and go, <laughs> go on Snapchat. Go do fake sword fights with all the CG skeletons on the futurelings group. Uh, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com or send us physical items. Let's see. What's in the mailbag here? Something from Peter in. Where is Goldendale, Washington, John? Goldendale? I got nothing here. Let me look it up here. Is it near Silverdale? Is it like Goldendale. Peninsula? It's like Silverdale, yeah. only better. He's one of these guys that has a little wax seal kit that he got at a at a farmer's market. I had one of those and I really liked it. No, Goldendale is not near Silverdale. It's it half is, Retriever, half Airedale. It's uh, it's down sort of... Uh, it's what you would call North Oregon. <laughs> it's... Uh, well, guess what? He... Uh, oh, he supports us on the Patreon. Thank you. Working his way through the back catalog. We mentioned the UW Observatory, I think maybe because I said my son was taking an astronomy class, and he would like to invite us to Goldendale Observatory... State Park, one of the world's largest public telescopes. No kidding. So it's south of the Yakima Reservation. It's in the gorge. Yep. And, or just above it. Yeah. Mere, a mere four-hour drive away for a 24-and-a-half-inch Newtonian reflector. I would go. I would drive further than that for that. a 24-and-a-half-inch Newtonian reflector. I had zero idea that that was there. But also, do we really need him to invite us if it's a public telescope? Surely well, we could just come anyway, Peter. Yeah, I know. But Peter has brought it to our attention, a thing... That is the equivalent of an invitation. A thing in our home state that we did not know of. I mean, you I've been to the top of Mauna Loa, and they wouldn't let me in. Because? Because they weren't letting anybody in. Oh. It's not a place that you can I thought they were letting up. a ton of people in. You just weren't wearing a shirt. <laughs> they were like, hold or they it, didn't, sir. they didn't like your social media. Or No, they were like, that vintage Hawaiian shirt is cultural appropriation. <laughs> uh, he says that we should visit in September, because you're still likely to have Good temps and clear skies, and you can look at Jupiter, Saturn, and the Andromeda overhead. Nice. They're also close to Brooks Memorial State Park, home to many... Can you finish this sentence? Uh, home to many Stonehenge, uh, like, Very close. half-scale reenactments. Very close. Bigfoot sightings. No, there are no big feats down there, are there? Peter says so. He sends us some uh, little buttons, what they would call badges in the United Kingdom, apparently, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as well as pamphlets telling, extolling the virtues of Goldendale State Park and uh, and some uh, postcards. He must have raided the gift shop for us. Thank you, uh, Peter. I actually would like to do that. You know, we have somebody in Bend who sent us come see our telescope uh, passes also. So the um, the telescopes of the Northwest, we should do a tour after we um, after we visit Oslo. Goldendale Observatory. Um, you know, so one way to support the show is to um, is to send us uh, 
paraphernalia about your public telescope. If that's not available to you, you can support us on uh, on Patreon, as Peter does. He is... Oh, it was the Allegheny Time episode where we mentioned the UW Observatory. That makes more sense. Time zones. Uh, go to patreon.com slash omnibusproject and find out the wonderful, wonderful... I'm Lawrence Welk. Uh, 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 prizes and perks available to our supporters. Even at the lowest tier, you can hear a bonus episode every month. And at one of the higher tiers, you can suggest an episode, much as uh, as Anders uh, Andersheim did when he sent us this episode. No, uh, Olaf, uh, who was it who suggested? Eric Rasmussen, who suggested this episode on The Viking. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Futurelings from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We're pretty sure we know how long the Viking civilization survived. I hope our ships last longer than theirs did. Oh, actually, no, their ships did good. Christopher Columbus's civilization, we know how long it survived. What, what does that mean? The Spanish Empire? Spanish Empire. Well, let's see. When he got, a good, he got a good 250 years out of that. Yeah. But we have no idea how long our civilization will survive or if we're already reporting from the other side of the end of our civilization and we just don't know it yet. You think the worst has already passed? I mean, I just think that maybe we're, maybe somewhere there is the, the new civilization has already been borned and futurelings will look back and go, oh, at 1492, in 2022. They don't know about the, what are you picturing? Like a commune in Copenhagen or like a hornet's nest in, in the, a, term, a termite mound in the, in the mm, Serengeti? Well, what is it? In 2022, uh, Rasmussen, Rasmussen sailed the, whoa. Sail, sailed the skies blue, and, you know, they'll look back and say, oh, it all started in. It all started when John got kicked off of Twitter in 2021. That's the new era. That's the new era. This, this will be year zero. But they were still, you know, I'm sure there were still some some uh, some guys limping their podcasts in for a few years after. Yeah, there were probably lots of people, uh, lots of people after Columbus went to America, or India, as he thought, who were like, you can't get to India that way. They, they didn't think the world was flat. That's a myth. They knew it was round. They just maybe thought, um, what, there'd be traffic? You just want to go, you just want to take the eastbound route instead? Mm-hmm. Eastbound and down. Loaded yeah, up and that, trucking. That's how you get to India from Spain. Eastbound. Eastbound. And down. And down. Unless you're Columbus. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. We wish you many goods and cheese. We wish that you come see us often. And if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.